What's up, gamers? I'm Tori Dominguez Peak. And I'm Noah Hertz. And welcome to Press Start. And hey, we got a we got a fun episode today. Uh, I'm just gonna launch straight into it. We're joined today by a couple of guests. So with us, we've got Willa Rowe and Robin B. They are two games journalists and fellow gaming podcasters. They host Girl Mode, a gaming podcast about industry news, hot takes, and all kinds of other things gaming. Robin and Willa, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having having us. us. Yeah. (laughs) You guys said that. I love they do it at the same time. Oh, that was like perfectly synced. That was incredible. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Um, I. I think we've both been talking about wanting to have y'all on for a minute because like I know we both enjoy your podcast and it's always fun we can like talk to other I don't know podcasters it's a fun vibe so thank you for coming on yeah of course happy to be here we love you know we love our fans so (laughs) (laughs) um before we get into asking everybody like questions about stuff because I know that's like the normal vibe is like hey we have guests let's launch into questions I do want to just up front there was that little 10 minute Zelda Tears of the Kingdom presentation the other day. Do we want to talk about that at all? Do we do we have any thoughts? I feel like Tori I'm does, down. which is mostly why I'm bringing it up. Tori looks <laughs> like she has thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Go for it. Yeah, I I don't know how much y'all watched it. I did watch the whole thing. I'm really excited for like fusing dumb shit with mm-hmm. weapons. Like mm-hmm. I really want to like use a stake to the master's sword or whatever. Yeah. Like I'm really <laughs> excited for that. I like the whole like using your hand to crawl through the roof thing. I saw this tweet. I think it was from Brendan Bigley at Into the Aether. But he's like, I cannot wait to watch people like make Link suplex dive straight into concrete <laughs> and make him like go through <laughs> roofs. The videos are going to go so hard. I saw one tweet that was like, I'm still waiting for an explanation of why Link can do that. Is he dead? Why can he just ghost teleport through walls? And I was like, this is Zelda. It's not going to be that deep. There's going to yeah. be just some like bullshit arbitrary reason as to why Link is able to just like go through solid rock. And it's just magic. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like, he it's has, just he has magic. like a full metal alchemist hand situation that I yeah. am yeah. excited to know about. So, yeah, he I looks really, so cool. I love him with the long hair. He's so yeah. pretty with the long hair. I'm he is so it. pretty, honestly. <laughs> what a cutie. He is. I love that we got like 13 full minutes of gameplay and there's just like so many new arbitrary gameplay things that were being shown that make no sense without the story implications behind them. Yeah, it's just I love that. I love that they've shown like literally zero things about the story. Like I have no yeah. fucking clue what's going on, but that's the that's the great thing. And yeah. people on Twitter, like some people were like kind of big mad about it, but it's like, did they show us plot of Breath of the Wild? Like, I feel like all of Breath of the Wild's marketing was just vibes, if I remember yeah. correctly. It was yeah, just like, look was. how nice this grass is, guys. Like, the, the main thing I remember about Breath of the Wild's marketing was just like the Zelda theory YouTubers. Just like, mm-hmm. why are there yes. parts in these trailers that look like they're from different branches of the Zelda timeline? Like, which is also happening again. With exactly. Like the, oh, maybe exactly. Back yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, the important part is like the goblin shenanigans you can get up to of just like, yeah, like exactly. using stuff to other stuff and throwing it at a third thing like that's yeah that's what's that, important i feel like that clip of aonuma in the new gameplay thing where he was just like i fused a mushroom to my shield just <laughs> so <laughs> great that's great yeah <laughs> it just sums up the entire vibe so far of that game and i adore it i absolutely yeah, we love all it. just want to see like what you can combine meat with yeah exactly. that's yeah, the absolutely. I'm, making, I'm making like a meat boat like it's gonna be great <laughs> well there was that bit where he was like oh 
I can combine my arrows with an ice choo-choo and now I can freeze enemies from a distance. And I'm like, you could do that in the last game. It was just ice arrows. So now we just have ice arrows with extra steps. Yeah, like, yeah it's like deconstructed cool. ice arrows. Yeah, <laughs> yes. it is cool. Don't get me you wrong. Can, like, if you're like me and you forget to buy things, you can just put them together when you're out in the wild. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the more fun implications are definitely like, what's the dumbest combination I can make? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. For sure. I really I were like, we know you guys are have contentious thoughts on weapon degradation. How yeah. about we just make it the absolutely funniest mechanic ever? <laughs> so you're all down with it. I love like that. They I love that they, they double too. down. Yeah, they're like, the swords still break, but you can make a meat sword. Like, yeah, yeah there's that thing where he's like, my tree branch is about to break, and it's like I could feel like the uh, I could feel like the deep sigh collectively from like hundreds <sighs> of millions of yeah. Zelda yeah. fans across the world. Where do yeah. you folks fall on the deeply divisive uh, weapon durability debate? I'm fine with it. Yeah. I yeah. do not understand why it's so much of a hot take. I like I it. Either. I think it's good. I think it's fine. Most <laughs> games, like if there was no weapon degradation, I would have used the same weapon the entire game. And the yeah. fact that there was mm -hmm. weapon degradation forced me to like use dumb bullshit. And mm -hmm. I feel like the main arc of Breath of the Wild is just like, put you in a fun physics engine with a Zelda coat of paint that has cool, dumb bullshit to do. So yeah. like yeah. the weapon degradation just played into that. So I, I really never understood why it was such of a hot take. I don't know. If I didn't yeah. want to do dumb bullshit, I wouldn't be playing video games in the first place. That's, like, why, that's, why the point. that's, what that's I'm so saying. real. That's such an incredible segue into talking about like <laughs> who you are and how the two of yeah. you got into video games. Okay. Um, I mean, for me, like I've talked about this, I basically grew up from like my first memories playing games. Mm -hmm. Like my brother, I'm the youngest of like four siblings and my brother, mm -hmm. big gamer. So the first things I kind of remember are like sitting around the TV, uh, playing N64 and, you know, like watching him play Ocarina of Time before I got, got to actually play it mm. and just doing like Mario Kart and GoldenEye. And since there were four of us, it was perfect for multiplayer. So just early on, I was like, yeah, these video games thing is cool. It is cool. Yeah, I mean, I also started playing very, very young. Um, I am a, a decrepit elder millennial, so I have like different experiences, I think. Like my the first console I played on, this is going to make me sound older than I actually am. But it was an Atari 2600, which mm -hmm. like belonged to my dad and like his siblings. It wasn't like. You know, I was not alive when it came out, <laughs> but it was like um, we had like it. I grew up in like a we had a pretty large extended family and I would go and see like both sets of grandparents, like at least once a week. And at one of their houses, there was an Atari 2600 hooked up to the TV. And at the other house, there was like an NES and a Super Nintendo. Oh, wow. So I had like lots of options that I could play one day a week. Oh, that um, is so cool. Yeah. And then I eventually got like a, that NES was like handed down to me as a birthday mm. present. And that was oh, my wow. first like actual console. Yeah. Nothing, nothing like a hand-me-down console. <laughs> yeah. That's the best. so real. That's yeah. like such a cool way to build just like an innate respect for media, media in general that is older than you, but especially games that are older than you when you grow mm -hmm. up with like the newer console and the older console. Like mm -hmm. I remember when I yeah. was a kid, like the big birthday present that I got when I was like five was a GameCube. And I was mm -hmm. like too young to really 100% interface with it in the way that I think my parents wanted me to. And Loki, I think like it was mostly a me gift, but my dad was like, I'll enjoy this as well. <laughs> 
but yeah. it was like we had the gamecube but then we also had my dad's sega genesis and then like mm -hmm. i remember later yeah. on we got an n64 so it was like i it's a really awesome way to just like build this this respect for the stuff that came before the new flashy stuff so it was like yeah i was playing melee but i was also playing like sonic 2 just as much as i was playing melee yeah i think it's so much easier to start especially if you're young like to start on those older consoles too because yeah. it's like even with a gamecube it's like if you're playing like wind waker or whatever mm -hmm. there's like a lot of, it's like very complex but if you start with an atari 2600 it's like you're this little dot and you gotta go get that other little dot it's yeah. like you can it's very easy to understand and those yeah. games are they were built with like arcade sensibilities in mind mm -hmm. like you were not yeah. meant to play any one of those games for longer than a couple hours at a time you were just supposed <laughs> to take that vhs shaped cartridge out and put a different one in mm -hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. really cool that's really cool you guys you both mentioned um ocarina of time are there any other early games that really drew you into gaming Oh, I mean, I think the so like the console that was like super formative for me was after we had the Nintendo 64, we like sold it tragically um, mm -hmm. away oh. and we eventually got um, a PlayStation 2. Ooh. And so that that's like was so formative for me and playing a bunch mm -hmm. of games there. And I think the first ones was it was really like it was Jack and Dexter and the Sly Cooper games, yeah. which was oh also just so yeah. good. <laughs> that's one game series i actually think we haven't talked about on here no but the sly have, cooper really. series i was obsessed with it do yeah. it it's great <laughs> and it was just so funny to me because like when i started getting more like you know literate with games and like actually pursuing like reading about gaming i it was in the playstation 3 era when i convinced mm -hmm. my parents to buy me a playstation 3 when i was the only gamer in the house at this point <laughs> <laughs> and the first games I got were Uncharted 2 and um, and Infamous, which oh. I was like, oh, shit, Fingers. wait, this is just the people who did Jack and Daxter and Sly Cooper. <laughs> oh, that's so, so funny. Yeah, they stayed with me forever. Oh, fuck. Infamous is so good. That was such a good game. I remember one of my best friends growing up, his family was like a little more affluent than mine was. So they always had like the new consoles and like mm -hmm. more games more like quicker than my family did and i remember he had a ps4 or a ps3 before i got one and i remember going over in him playing infamous and like i like i had a playstation magazine subscription like i was aware of the ps3 but i didn't have one and i hadn't seen one beyond like the gamestop kiosks and like sitting with him and watching him play infamous was truly just like an earth-shattering moment for somebody who just like had a ps2 at home it was one of those moments where it was just yeah. like this is in this is gaming <laughs> you know what i mean like this is capital, capital g, g. Gaming. <laughs> that's yeah. really cool though um what about you robin are there like early games that stick out gosh yeah i mean i guess like the earliest well okay so i've actually written about this before i, I played a lot of uh on the atari 2600 i played a ton of pitfall I got obsessed with Pitfall, which is a game that I was terrible at, which is a game about jumping over logs and scorpions. <laughs> it was as exciting as it sounds. Um, but I think one of the first games that really like drew me in and like I could not stop thinking about was the original uh, Legend of Zelda on the NES. Mm. Um, like I played that had like, you know, the booklet and everything where you had like, you know, your map and stuff. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, one of those early experiences of like, this isn't just about like not getting hit by stuff to lose points. It's like, you had to figure out puzzles and stuff and like keep track of where you'd been and have like this inventory. And um, I don't know, it just was this very like grand adventure. So mm -hmm. that's the first game that I played where I was like, 
really, really absorbed into it as opposed to just like something to do. So I didn't have to like go play baseball, which I didn't want to do, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely like the earliest one of those that I have. But then a little later on, I guess like the PlayStation, like Final Fantasy games were also pretty formative to me. Yeah. Um, except for I don't I didn't like eight, but seven and nine were were very, very important. <laughs> Will you're Willa shaking your head. It's not like a very point of contention. <laughs> I am a Final Fantasy eight apologist. Yeah, it's okay, a great okay. game. I, I've wondered this ever since I started listening. I think it was actually during the one episode you guys did about Final Fantasy, where the two of you talked about hmm. like your experience with that series, that I realized that hmm. there was a bit, like not a huge one, but a little bit of an age gap between the two of you. I wonder, is that something that like, does that come up a lot when you two are talking about games and maybe not even necessarily how you got into games, but like just how you interface with them? Just when Willow wants to make fun of me. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> it's very true. I feel like... I mean, honestly, though, besides that, I don't think uh, it doesn't feel like we have that much of an age gap. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of our tastes are so similar that even if I didn't, you know, play some games when they came out, it's still they were games that I ended up seeking out later. So like a mm -hmm. lot of RPGs and the Final Fantasy series, like I didn't necessarily grow up with the Final Fantasy series, but I would I came back to it eventually when I was like more into gaming and like had a great affinity for it um i know i just think the way we approach how we think about games is just so in tune um mm -hmm. and i'm uh, also very mature so mentally we're pretty much on the same level <laughs> that is yeah heard it from here first robin said i'm baby yes <laughs> it's, i mean yes if one of us is baby it's mm -hmm. i think we're all who it is yeah, yeah. we tell yes like one of the taglines of our show is like we're not necessarily gaming journalists, but we're journalists who happen to game. But you both have been in gaming journalism before. How did you get into that space? Why did you want to pursue that beat? You want to go first, Robin? Sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like another uh, sort of facet of the like the time that I grew up, I grew up in a time uh, when I was like a very young kid, like before the Internet existed if you can imagine such a thing. Um, so I grew up reading like gaming magazines rather than reading stuff online. Yeah. Um, so like I was very, you know, very much into them. I would read like, um, like there was a time when if you walked into a GameStop, they would just like fire copies of Game Informer at you out of a cannon. Yes. Just, oh, like, yeah. oh my just, God. Yeah. Everywhere. So I read that. Um, and I read like electronic, like EGM. Mm -hmm. Um and I really loved them. And I like I'd always loved writing. Like ever since I was a kid, I would write like, you know, little stories. And I made little like, you know, newspapers that I would like make my family read, like film shit like that. Aww. Uh so I was like, it it was something that I saw as like uh, I was like, oh, I would like to do this. Like that'd be cool to write about games. But because I was just reading these magazines, it was like, well, there's 10 of these jobs and <laughs> all of these dudes have them. So <laughs> I guess I can't do that because there's no more room. So yeah. I just kind of like stopped thinking about it. Um, but eventually, like I went to I was like, remained interested in writing. So I studied journalism in school and um, worked a bunch of completely unrelated jobs to that. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it was just like uh, I could, you know, I keep doing stuff I don't like to do or I could try to do something I do like to do and probably uh, find a way to fuck that up. And so I did both of those things. Uh, and 
Yeah, I don't know. I had like a weird path to get into it. Like I just um, worked, like I said, tons of unrelated jobs. And then eventually when I decided I wanted to like make an actual go of it, like started writing uh, game reviews and news and stuff for like sites, like exploitative sites that don't pay you at all. Yeah. And then I had enough of a portfolio to like get hired at exploitative sites that pay you $5 an article uh, and did that for a couple of years. Don't do that. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but eventually I like had just kind of gotten enough experience that I felt confident in like applying for, uh, you know, even less exploitative sites. Mm -hmm. uh, and eventually like, like, you know, just kept doing that until eventually I, I like somehow sneaked my way into a job doing that. Yeah. Uh, and then got laid off. But for a while it was great. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was a weird, it was a weird path. Like uh there was, I think there's kind of no straight line to to being in game journalism. Mm -hmm. Um, so it doesn't feel like an especially strange way to get there, but it was nonetheless like, you know, there's kind of no no path to chart there. I don't know. Yeah. I I appreciate that you you share that element of the journey that is writing for those exploitative content mills because i feel like i feel like a lot of people and not even just games journalism but just media in general when you talk to them about their path to it a lot of times it is much more of a straight line of you know study study journalism study this in school and then it's a straight line to a job at like a publication that you recognize the name of but like, and, and Tori, well, I'm not sure if this is something you guys can relate to, but like, as somebody, as somebody who wanted to write and like, obviously still wants to write, but had no connections, had no idea what that path looked like. It really seemed like for a while that the only path to a writing career was one where you worked for an exploitative content mill where you, you pumped out writing for, for the exposure, not even for money. And you did that long enough until you had clips. And then you got to a slightly less exploitative system. Like it, it really mm -hmm. seemed like yeah. that was the path that was really there for a lot of people who didn't have any connections. Yeah. I mean, my, I, I definitely had those thoughts. I was a really lucky college student in that I interned at an NPR station and mm -hmm. had a director who really, really um, believed in me and was like, I know people who work at NPR, like in DC like I will recommend you for an internship. And I was the like needle in the haystack kid who got the NPR internship, which yeah. I always look back at that. And I'm like, man, if I wasn't that cohort of kids, I don't know where I'd be. Um, so I always think of it as like, I had kind of like a rocket launcher start to the career in a way that a lot of people don't. So like, it's, it's the grind though. That's what happens a lot. And even in like, I work in the audio space. So I've been working in podcast journalism and radio journalism my whole career and you'll get like you'll have to do freelance stuff for a public radio station or for a show that they pay you basically nothing or exposure and then you get to like get uh something bigger and in my experience with audio production you don't always get the same byline that a reporter necessarily would in a newspaper so mm, yeah. producers have like that aspect of it so it took me a, a couple of years for me to actually get my name on a thing that i'd made yeah so it, it sucks in that aspect yeah i mean i think yeah for me it's it's such a weird journey to think about because it was kind of like no plan at all to do this and then very suddenly quickly it just became the plan like 
it's weird, very weird to me for me to think about it. Like I have not been a professional games journalist for more than a year. I, mm. I've I've been working at Inverse, and that's my first, you know, professional yeah. games journalist position for less than a year. And like the way it happened was I I had like started getting really into reading games journalism um when I was like end of middle school, early high school. And I was like reading IGN a lot and like watching stuff like that, listening to podcasts beyond because I was like a big PlayStation fangirl. And I one of the like moments that something switched in my brain was when I played Journey for the first time. And I was like, this is like something really special. It shows that games are uniquely equipped to do incredible storytelling. And I just started delving deeper into like looking into games journalism and reading about it. And then I was like really inspired during like kind of the heyday of Kotaku, where it was like, especially like Harper J when they were writing there and they were doing like incredible work. And I was just reading that being like, man, that's so good. In another life, I would like to do that. But mm -hmm. I was pursuing like an English major in college, which meant I don't know what I want to do. <laughs> even though I enjoyed it. <laughs> I like um, to read books, but I don't know what I want to do when I graduate. Yeah, exactly. And I kind of lucked my way into a internship at a theater in New York uh, because wow. I just like really like the theater scene here. And so I was just like, I'll just apply to it and I'll do that. And I was set on this path to like work in theater, doing like grant writing, administration, um, kind of producing stuff like that. And I had been, and then, I was doing that for like three years and mm. I was getting ready to graduate. And I was like in late rounds of interviews with some like really great theaters in New York. And then in March of that year, everybody was like, Hey, there's this COVID thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I graduated undergrad in COVID and mm -hmm. all the jobs I was applying to were like, sorry, we're pulling like all of our, you know, job yep. stuff yeah. right now because we yeah. don't know what the fuck is happening. I think theater... we both had like literally the same experience. Yeah, that's yeah. that's very real. Yeah, I had an internship cancel on me. I actually had two cancel me because of hiring oh. freezes in college. And like you go to college and there's that thing drilled, especially in journalism, of like you have to like eat shit at like three different internships to get the staff job. And so <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, like it's not adding up. I don't have the ad adequate amount of internships because of this yeah. pandemic. But I haven't been yeah. a shitty intern at three different places. Yet. No, literally, it's like that. It's like I need to like make coffee for three different people. And then mm -hmm. so, yeah, I basically like I basically like ran a theater company, a very prestigious downtown theater company in New York mm -hmm. for like no pay because we were oh I was an God. intern, but I was like one of the heads of administration and like one of the heads of grant writing. Very fun. But so then like all of theater shut down in New York for basically a year and I was just, you know, locked up in the apartment. And the only thing I was doing was playing games and watching movies and stuff. And I I have always been a very critically minded person, um, but I had never like applied it to anything beyond just like talking with my partner in our apartment. And she was like, you know what? You should just like write stuff. Like you're very thoughtful about this stuff. Just write stuff. So I started a blog and I was just writing things for my blog. And then eventually I applied to grad school for journalism because I was like, you know what? Let's try to become a critic because I wanted to be, do arts criticism. Then I 
miraculously got into grad school, went to grad school and it was a year long program, very quick. Um, and I did a lot of like games writing there, which um, I went to a very like old institution and most of the staff works for like the New York Times and all that stuff. So I was like, I'm going to write about video games and anime and stuff. And they were like, maybe don't do that because that's not real journalism. Um, but I had one arts criticism professor who was like the best guy ever. And I was like, oh, I want to write about this stuff. And he was like, yeah, I know nothing about that, but like, go for it. And he was awesome. And then I started applying for jobs when it was getting time for graduation. And I happened to line up a job at Inverse as a video games writer because I didn't even, we had like a job fair and BDG who owns Inverse, they like come to the job fair and I wasn't even going to go to their meeting. But one of my friends was like, hey, I know you didn't go to the meeting, but they had a video games writer position. So you should apply to that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and I was applying for a job at Kotaku at the same time. So I was like, hopefully I get Kotaku, but whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll apply to this place too. And <laughs> I got the inverse position and I graduated on a Thursday or a Wednesday. And I started five days later the next week because oh I was God. like, wow. I'm just ready. And ever since then, I've been, you know, doing my thing at inverse and testing my editor's patience <laughs> on the daily. Mm -hmm. Did the two of you meet at Inverse or? Okay. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I wondered about that. Yeah. That's yeah. very cool, though. That it was really cool. love at first sight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember. So you wrote a piece that was like, was it like a test for your application or something? Because we yeah. published a piece by you that I really liked. And I was like, oh, this, this girl's cool. And like, you know, I think I followed you on Twitter at that point or something. Mm -hmm. And then like the next week, you were just like in the pitch meeting. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Yeah, it was so stressful my first day as I like <laughs> I get there and first off our head editor, who was the one who had interviewed me and like onboarded me. She was like, cool. So you're going to start. I'm actually out that week. Oh, yeah, that was funny. <gasps> oh, no. Was so this like, remote, by the way? Or yeah. No? OK. Oh, my yeah, God. We, we all work pretty much remote. Um, and we got into the newsroom meeting and I was talking to our associate editor. We were just doing the newsroom meeting and then he was like, so Willa, do you have pitches? And I was like, oh fuck. No pitches? <laughs> He's like, I've been here for 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. man. So okay, so you both be at inverse. When did the idea for girl mode come about? How oh, did man. that come about? That was for... Robin. Oh, okay. That was me, I guess. Yeah. It's because what did I say? Oh, I made a tweet jokingly being like, if I buy a podcast mic, because I, you know, I want to make <laughs> impulse purchases. It's like, if I buy a podcast mic, will people invite me on their podcasts? And then that happened. And then I wrote, I wrote some piece. I think it was about Hogwarts oh, Legacy. The fucking, yeah, they, sorry, yeah, yeah, can yeah. I say bad words on your podcast? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, we say words the, the, yeah, the piece about Hogwarts Legacy. Yeah, I wrote a piece about Hogwarts Legacy when I had it. in that sentence. I'm sorry. I, I was going to. I decided not well, to. Anyway. Someone, someone said Howard's legacy. So that yeah, was the right. sure, yeah, that's that's bad word. worst words. And after that post, I was talking about how, like, unsurprisingly, like, <clears throat> assholes were coming out of the woodworks to, like, shit on me. Yeah, and Robin, like, messaged me on Twitter. And, like, we had, like, kind of chatted every once in a while in the newsroom meetings. But, like, we hadn't 
become like friends. Um, and she was like, by the way, like, I really support you. And I like, love you, the work you do. Aww. And it's like, we're so lucky to have you at inverse. And like, if you ever want to like chat or do something like that would or, be great. Or start and, a podcast. And maybe we could start a podcast. Somehow it seems easier to ask someone to start a podcast than to ask them to be your friend. So it, it's just that was the shortest route. That's, That's all adult life. Two is a trans media girls in the same yeah. office. We just sort of like circle each other like feral cats for a while, waiting for yeah, one of them much. to like say something. Mm -hmm. uh, I, but yeah, after that, it was basically we just started doing some like test recordings and spent a month trying to think of a name and then, and then girl <laughs> mode is born. Yeah. I love, I love that. that being a person in media, you were just like, you were just like a Russian roulette, like one, if I buy a podcast <laughs> mic away from starting a podcast. Yeah. True. It's, it's a danger for all of us. Yeah. yeah. You have a microphone. It's, it's only a matter of time before someone makes you do a podcast with them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But um, it's been like really great having girl mode and doing it. Yeah. It's like, it's so funny because like literally both of us spent all of our hours <laughs> working, doing games, journalism and stuff. And then mm -hmm. we we're like, what if we just do this more for mm -hmm, no yeah. pay just to hang out with each other? Um, <laughs> but it's been great. And, you know, like especially like after after Ramen got laid off. Um, yeah. We were very Having happy. something to do yeah. with my time was, mm -hmm. has been nice. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's something we, we wanted to talk about, too, if you're comfortable talking about the layoff candidly. Mm -hmm. Like. I we already did like, an episode of our show where I cried the whole time about it. So I'm sure, more, yeah. uh, normal now. Mm -hmm. I mean, working in media is such a cool job, such a neat thing. I have never met a person who, when they ask me what I do for work and I tell them I'm a journalist, who it doesn't react like, oh my God, that's so cool. Like I've never had a negative reaction telling somebody that. But the other side of that is that this is an industry, especially games journalism, that is just, it's like, I think, uh, what was what was the expression that uh, Renata Price used when she came on the show? She said it was jumping from like one sinking ship that was on fire to another sinking ship that was on fire or something yeah. like that. Like, I, I mean, I hate to say that it's it's a pretty universal thing, but like, where where are you at now in your your media journey now that you have experienced one of those layoffs that everybody experiences? Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, still on the job search, like it's it's uh, have made no ground on it. Um, it's it's rough out there, folks. Um, Send job tips to at girl mode yes. underscore pod on Twitter. Please, please do. It's um, yeah, I don't know. It's a rough thing. It is sort of the, the thing that, you know, like going into it, that it's going to be it's going to be tough. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been like very much the case, like since I graduated uh, undergrad, you know, I studied journalism and I graduated like in the recession of like the you know early 2000s yeah. when like newspapers were folding left and right and it was just like cool i know i have a degree in an industry that might not exist in like two months mm -hmm. um so the whole time that i've like been trying to do this that's very much been the reality of it um and yeah definitely in like games journalism it's like two years is kind of like the expected lifespan for a lot of folks or at least a lot of jobs and whether you kind of like keep up with it or or move to something else is is really the is the bigger question because they also yeah. sort of inevitable um so yeah i don't know i'm in a place right now where i'm still like tr trying to find something in this industry even though i know uh how much it like chews people up and, and spits them out um i don't know i've also had so like i said I, I worked a lot of like just random jobs that had nothing to do with this before and i've gotten um like so before like this is not my first layoff 
Like this is the first time I've been laid off from a job in media, but I've been laid off from like from other jobs too that I didn't care about. Mm-hmm. And so there's this weird feeling that you get from that, which is like getting laid off from a job that you didn't want. You're sort of like, well, who gives a shit? You know, I didn't want that job anyway. Yeah. Um, but that's in in some ways has made me. I know that even if I like stop doing this and just like go find something else to do, that doesn't mean that there's also definitely going to be stability. Like there's instability in everything that you could possibly yeah. be doing. So um, I don't know. I, yeah, it's like I, I don't have like a great answer to that just because like things are so up in the air, you know, like I would love to keep doing this, but I also know uh, it's tough. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. I I really hope you get something, a really cool opportunity that comes your way because your writing is great and it is rough out there. Um, I had the unique experience last week of applying to a job at NPR the day they laid off 10% of their staff. (laughs) And like that position was open. So I like, I applied, Mm -hmm. but I was just like, I feel like I'm running into a burning building, like already yeah. on fire before I even run into the building. And I'm just in the building to burn more. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like walking in the indoor when there's like a huge crowd going out the exit. And you're like, what are you guys, what are you guys doing? Like, why are you yeah. all doing yeah. Everyone's I... like being rescued by the fire department. And I'm like, what's up guys? <laughs> Is this, are they still open or can I go? Yeah. yeah. When I got laid off, um, one of our, like your, whatever, one of our coworkers, uh, Jess Reyes, uh, messaged me and was like, Hey, I freelance for this other company. Like they're looking for somebody else right now, if you want to apply for that. And so I did end up applying for that. And then like two weeks later, it was static media and they laid off a whole bunch of people. And so it was just like, even like the life raft was sinking as I was trying to get onto it, you know? Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's brutal. (laughs) It's very interesting for like me who's, who's been here for like less than a year, but I'm just like, I kind of knew what I was getting to. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's like one of those things where I'm just like, everybody's going to tell you that uh, it's kind of like pointless to come into it if it's mm-hmm. unstable and there's no mm-hmm. stability, but it's like what I want to be doing. And yeah. I, that's, yeah, that's where I'm at too, because like my other idea for a career in college, well, I, first of all, I went to drama school, you know, known for its stability and I changed <laughs> majors. Uh, and then I was like, I'm either going to be a journalist or I'm going to be a high school history teacher. And like, there are no shortage of K through 12 educational openings. It's just a matter of like, do you really want to fucking yeah. be there? Either way, so, you're raking in the money, you know? Yeah, either way, Both I'm filthy rich. Extremely lucrative careers. But one so is like, some... you don't even need a degree here, dude. You can just waltz yeah, into a classroom. You, just, like, <laughs> you, have if you don't pulse. have one right now. Yeah, exactly. actually. Um, so it was a matter of like job they really want passionate about, but could be hard to grok and like really carve a stability out of, or mm-hmm. job that is very much able and like what is willing to have any human being, but I will probably hate it and probably mm-hmm. quit after two years if I don't mm-hmm. get like written up for teaching about like, I don't know, the fact that slavery happened. Um, yeah. mentioning that gay people exist. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, okay, these are both shitty, but at least one of these might be happy for some amount of time. So, yeah. 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 It's like for me, I'm just like, I'm just going to do it the best I can for yeah. as long as I'm here. <laughs> and it's like, it's great because in a way, I, I think about this all the time when I'm writing stuff that's like, I'm like, ooh, is this a little too spicy? Because I'm just Not like, for Jen. Not for Jen. Our our editor is fantastic. She lets me get away with a lot. But um, 
it's like, you know what? I, I want to be doing this for a purpose. So like, I'm just going to do it to the best of my ability. And like, whatever happens, happens. It's like no skin off my teeth. Um, what is it though? This complete side tangent. What is it about the theater kid to journalist pipeline? (laughs) I'm serious. I know I, I, I've had this thought many times. I think it's because we want to be, we like being heard. <clears throat> that is true. Also, like my, especially I went to pod, I went to like radio and audio journalism. And the reason why that happened was because, well, Noah was the news director at the college radio station. That's how we met. That's true. That's true. But I remember I had like one or two people at that news department be like, you have a really good voice like for radio you're really good at reading things and i was like mm. yeah that's because i have a fucking theater degree or i was working <laughs> oh, yeah. towards one so it just like and then like when you write news scripts it's like the same as like stage directions and like mm-hmm. cues and so it was like mm. voice skills it was playwriting skills and technical theater skills and so it just directly translated in yeah, a way I, so i have you can peep all my playbills that I have. Yeah, up. I was looking at oh, this. I was so like, cool. oh, I see Wicked. I see. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of shows right. in there. It's fantastic because <laughs> this is not all the playbills that we have in the apartment, but it's the best or the worst. Because mm-hmm. it's a great conversation point. <laughs> Do you have like, like a Spider-Man that. turn off the dark one in there? <laughs> I wish. Ooh. Oh, man, yeah. I wish. Yeah, I think well, uh, that Cinderella I've been hearing is a disaster, so... Get your tickets to Bad Cinderella. And yeah. Hang one of those it's not up. called Bad Cinderella, right? It is, it is yeah, called, we it talked is called about this Bad before. Cinderella. I told okay. you it was Zoe. She was obsessed with that. My, because like, as I mentioned, like I used to be like working in theater. I'm a yeah. big theater person. So like, I'm always talking about this. Like I, mm. I kind of wanted well, to start. You live in New York this. too. I yeah, feel exactly. Like, yeah, it's very easy in New York. Yeah. Um. Literally the show started in London as Cinderella. And it was so bad that when they transferred it to New York, they called it Bad Cinderella. <laughs> That's actually genius marketing. That really like, we is. know, we know, we know. It's intentional. Don't worry. It's not just a bad play. Imagine if Cats 2019 had been called like Cats. It's the bad. It's bad. Cats. The bu- come the see it. Cut. It's bad. The bubble cut. Yeah. Bubble cut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I. Uh... I don't mean to draw us away from this theater tangent, but I, I there there was a comment you made in there when you were talking about like the instability of games media, Willa. Like, I, I feel like an interesting thing about games media is that in a similar way that like when the 2008 recession recession happened, it wasn't that like people didn't want news anymore. It was that the business model no longer became lucrative and everything was just stacked on houses of cards stacked on houses of cards stacked on like shady real estate investments on top of another house of cards but like the the thing that's interesting about games media to me at least is that like video games are at a point now where they're probably more popular than they've literally ever been and like everyone reads some kind of games media like if you play video games even if you just like interface with tweets about news about the next Fortnite update like you're interfacing with games media, but it's an industry that just like, like you said, like eats people up and spits them out. Like it really sucks that the people who want to get into the industry to do something even remotely subversive or even remotely just off the beaten path of like writing what is functionally press releases for gaming mm-hmm. companies end up getting just like completely spit out. Yeah. Yeah. It- I mean, we talked a bit about that in the, the, 
tragic layoff spectacular that we had, which is just like a lot of like, there's been so many of these layoffs lately. And every time it happens somewhat, you'll, you know, people who've like been in the industry for a long time, will start yeah. talking about how like, you shouldn't get into this industry, like just telling yeah. people like warning them off, which is, is frustrating to a degree to me because like, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but also it's like, I mean, like we were kind of saying before, like, if this is the thing you want to do and it's the thing you're passionate about, then like no amount of a warning is really going to put you off of it because yeah, like, yeah. if you care about the craft of it, you're going to do it anyway. So it can be really frustrating to hear that, which is like very sensible advice. And I think the kind of like variant of that advice that I would give is like, if you think you could be equally happy doing something else, go do it. But there's no amount of warning that's going to make someone like who actually like cares about criticism or about journalism, like stop caring about those things. So it can be frustrating to hear that when I think the more productive conversation is like, what can we do to make things less terrible? Yeah. And the the tough part about that is like, nobody has an answer. And especially I don't have an answer. Like that's not me teeing up my grand plan for saving <laughs> game journalism. It's just like, it's just like, we need to like start worrying about that instead of trying to warn people away, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about that because like, the Washington Post like canned Launcher mm -hmm. and it was pretty bonkers to see that like Launcher was growing and was attracting like young diverse subscribers to the post so it's not even that like Launcher was unsuccessful it actually was successful and it's not that people don't read games media we are like at peak video game as a society <laughs> like yeah like once We've a week everyone <laughs> everyone was watching pedro pascal do cutscenes, you know like <laughs> it, like we were all on board with that shit so like we are at peak video game i think but it's just like people up top it, yeah. it's kind of a a wild thing to to see but pivoting to a happier question <laughs> <laughs> but before we edge too close to just all admitting that the problem is capitalism, let's yeah, pivot yeah. to something completely different. Let's pivot. Um, okay, so we tend to edit this question. The, the question in the Google Doc is, what are your top three favorite games? Every person we've ever asked has been like, can I do top five? Because three is a little hard to do. <laughs> so top, yeah. top whatever favorite video games, both of you. Wow. I okay. admire your dedication to the Google Doc. We we have one of those that I just never update, so it's always just Willa's it's pretty messy. There, and then yeah. I just spring you, things. Usually, on what there. happens is uh, one of us will make a Google Doc, and then I will edit it days in advance, and then Tori will throw a bunch of stuff onto it 15 minutes before we record, <laughs> and then I'll jump onto the Google Doc and be like, "Whoa, it's like quadrupled in size since yeah. the last time I looked at it." Yeah, everybody works differently. Exactly, yeah, and I respect true. that completely. Mm -hmm. I like to keep Willa off guard. It's fun. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you have? Uh, I so because I am a ball of anxiety, I listened back to previous interview episodes, and I was like, "Listen, wow, I know they so ask funny. this question homework every wow. time." <laughs> so I prepared. Oh, okay. I'm so here for it. I, I get to go first, you... then. I think. Okay, I can. I'll run through a top five because I made a top five. Okay, wow. I love that. Wow. Here we go. This feels like you've cheated, actually. A little bit. <laughs> no, I did, no. She I studied. Did my homework. She studied. <laughs> yeah um i did my prep work yeah, yeah so okay. number five i'm gonna go with return of the Oberden. okay Ooh. wait is this oh. in order or is this just like scattershot it's uh it's a loose ranking okay okay yeah. Oberden, i respect that yeah Fucking Oberdin, love Oberdin. i just it's because it's such a special game and i think it's like one of the things i really like is i always say one of my favorite types of games are games that are played mostly in a notebook Mm -hmm. and ask you to do like <laughs> actual thinking 
outside of just like running through a basic mechanic. Um, and the whole thing of Return to the Oberdin is it's basically like, okay, you're on the ship, there's X amount of dead people, and basically just figure it out. Go. And it's incredibly rewarding because it actually asks the player to make logical like decisions on their own part and do smart observation and you know use their own knowledge because you can be like oh wait this guy is speaking french so he probably has a french last name okay let's look at the you know list of people in the crew and it even rewards smart guessing because every like five guesses that you get right it will be like okay these ones you got correct so mm -hmm. if you know you have four of them you can just kind of cheat the system and plug in a bunch of different options for the fifth yeah. and get it right it's fantastic i really i think it's it's one of the most well-designed games i think that's been made recently um for this is gonna surprise nobody especially <laughs> not robin a citizen sleeper oh, um great game recent game but it's just fantastic i think it is so perfect in its storytelling and its message uh i it's i like that it takes a lot of inspiration from tabletop rpgs and just makes this interesting story that is has a loose framework but is individual to every player um like the the final chapter of it came out today and like i, I played it earlier today and just cried at the ending because i was like man i was so invested in this world uh it's fantastic uh three near automata mm. um this is a game that we just recently talked about actually because yeah. robin just finished it i was just listening um, to you guys argue about this like on my way home <laughs> from work actually <laughs> i really really admire yoko taro and the work that he does and that you know the teams he works with do um I am a big believer that games as an artistic form shouldn't have to be entertaining or fun. <laughs> and so much of the Nier and Jackengard games sometimes are just like, we're going to aggressively make the player suffer, but mm -hmm. it's for a purpose and it's genius. Uh, I think it's one of the best examples of games using the language of games as a medium for storytelling rather than trying to emulate other mediums. It's very yeah. unique. I had this thought when I was listening to the most recent episode of Girl Mode where you were talking about Nier Automata and you kept referencing like your respect for Yoko Taro's work. Mm -hmm. And I remember having the thought then like, I wish I could ask her this, but I can just do that now. <laughs> like, what what is your experience like with other Yoko Taro games? Because I, full disclosure, I have not played Nier Automata to completion. I've played a chunk of it. And I I enjoyed the vibes that it was laying down, but I really was like having a hard time getting into the combat system, which I know is probably like a really lame thing to say because it's like a platinum combat system, which is good. But I hear a lot of people talk like really glowingly about Yoko Taro's other games, but I didn't know that many people played Drakengard. Like, do you have experience with that series? A lot of people didn't play Drakengard. It's yeah, just the weirdos. Just a pervert. Just a pervert. <laughs> The thing about it, and I mean this in all honesty, I wrote I wrote about this. Um, Drakengard is one of the worst games you will ever play. <laughs> is and this I mean Drakengard that... one specifically, or like yes. all of them? Okay, Drakengard one specifically, and mm. it's like that's why it's so good. Mm -hmm. In a weird way, I think Nier Automata is it's the most diluted of Yoko Taro's games. It's clearly if you like read interviews where he talks about why he's making games and how he like 
aggressively wants to impact the player and make the player think. Um, Near Automata worked so well because it's the most, um, it's the most largely appealing version of it. Whereas Drakengard and Drakengard Three and even the original Near are much more difficult to get into, um, and that's there's a purpose behind it, but it also makes it less appealing, which is why the Near Automata happened um, mm. and why it succeeded so well. Two is Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers mm-hmm. specifically. Um, I think Shadowbringers it, it like has a great reputation and it's deserved. I honestly think it's the best Final Fantasy game, period. Um, so much of its success comes on the fact that it's able to, you know, have payoffs for things that have been set up over literally hundreds of hours. Um, but there's something about the story that it tells that is so special and unique. And you really do feel like it's the Final Fantasy 14 team at the top of their game being like, we're going to cash in every plot thread and every like emotional thing that we've laid the groundwork for. And it's it's incredibly special. And I think the story by like transporting the game to a new world, basically, um, it does a lot of subversion and introspection on what it means to be a Final Fantasy game and what it means to like tell a hero story. Hmm. I love it. I, I, I would recommend everybody play it, but it's a hard wreck because you have to play literally hundreds of hours of more games. Um, uh, then last one i don't need to talk about this too much because i've kind of mentioned it already but journey Mm. it has a very special place in my heart i also think it's a great piece of design for uh again like the potential of the medium outside of a traditional triple a design mentality um Mm. i i was once able to talk to jenova chan uh from that game company and one of the things he said to me was it's like it's this idea that um what if what he he was talking about eco and how eco inspired him for these games he's like what if every game mm-hmm. had like a hug button or something yeah and it's just this mentality of journey which journey doesn't have a hug button but it's about like <laughs> player connection and making you actually connect with other players and share an experience um mm. and it it basically led me to be a games journalist so yeah that's why it's so important to me uh i it's incredible to think about like the far-reaching impacts that the team eco games had on just like all video games like it, never mind the fact that there's no dark souls without shadow of the colossus and eco but like mm, just true it, it seems like every game developer interview you read in the past decade someone mentions eco somewhere like it's it's really incredible just how far-reaching that company's games are. It's really incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Willa has thoughts about that specifically. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. People <laughs> like to uh, invoke eco without actually knowing what eco is about. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or demonstrating it. This is a whole other episode. Yeah. <laughs> Robin, what about you? Yeah, um... Well, I, this is a less organized list. Um, I guess, I mean, that's a good transition though. Like Eco for sure is one of my Mm -hmm. favorite games ever. Um, Like, I mean, we, 
our first episode of our show was us talking about like the games that kind of made us um mm-hmm. not necessarily that our favorite games but the games that made us think uh in a critical way about video games and uh much as journey was one of yours eco was one of mine um for i mean it's just it, it's an incredible amazing game there's a good reason why people uh cite it so much as inspiration even if you know it's not clear what exact they're taking from it <laughs> but um just in terms of like even down to like things like setting an aesthetic and setting a vibe and uh telling a story without um any like discernible dialogue or is very interesting uh the way that it centers empathy and uh making you making your protagonist not necessarily the hero of the story but someone who's along for the ride and is helping someone and that's what mm-hmm. makes them interesting or heroic i think that's a great thing um I don't want to repeat too many of Willa's, but I definitely think Citizen Sleeper and Final Fantasy XIV would make that list. Mm-hmm. Um, Anodyne 2, I think, would be on my list, mm-hmm. uh, which is a game by Analgesic Productions, uh, the the developer of Stephanie, which was the source of another uh, big episode of me and Willa fighting. Um, uh, it's it's a I think it's a really wonderful, wonderful game. It's uh, difficult to describe in a, a format like this but the thing that i think is interesting about it is the way that it's self-aware it takes itself seriously but is very self-aware about that self-seriousness and mm. makes it um it has a really really great ability to be funny and be sincere and be touching all at the same time and i think the the farther you play into it the farther you see a bunch of really wild formal experiments like it's mm. a like 3d platformer game that at certain points turns into like a text adventure and sometimes turns into like that it just does so many different things that are completely unexpected uh and i i really love it for that um this may be recency bias but uh paradise killer which i finished very recently i think is a incredible game um just again like for vibes i think a lot of my choices are vibes based uh but it's just like maybe similar again to Oberdin, the way that it makes you think about things uh you know become a detective and not just follow uh guide posts you know like makes you figure out things for yourself uh i feel like i had a one that i wanted to say that i'm forgetting and i'm sure that i did um oh so- i need to so i need to say so dark souls is very important to me uh that was like that was a very pivotal moment of me um playing games and also like it uh kind of helped shake me out of a very long uh, depressive episode, which is fun. Um, and also, just need to shout out Dragon's Dogma, because that game fucking whips, and I'm that so excited they're making another whip. one, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's so good. It does, honestly, like, it does a, a better job than almost any other game I've played of making its world feel alive and making you feel like a participant in a world, as opposed to like the hero of the story, necessarily, even though you are but there's so many people who seem to be going about their business and not really giving a shit about who you are, um, that it's, it feels very special to be in that place. Uh, and it's also just fun as hell, which sometimes is good. I don't know how many that was, but that's my list. I, I think that was like, that's solid. Five, that's solid like five adjacent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that was good. I won't make y'all like relitigate this point, but I, I will recommend listeners to listen to the the episode that you two did specifically talking about the Final Fantasy series, because even as somebody who has no experience with Final Fantasy 14 beyond hearing people talk about how it gets good after 100 hours, I I really enjoyed the conversation the two of you had about that game and talking about your 
your journeys at pivotal points in your lives, especially like in, in your journeys to becoming who you are today and how the community that that game fostered created that. Like, I just, I thought that was really moving. And I was reminded of that when you both mentioned that as being on your list. Like, I think it's, I think it's an important thing to note that like sometimes a favorite game is less because of the game itself or the the story elements of the game or whatever, but because of the the community that you find within mm-hmm. the game, especially in the online space. So yeah. I, I recommend that conversation to anybody who's interested about like hearing more of that from you too. Yeah. yeah nobody... The short version is if you play Final Fantasy 14, it'll turn you trans. Damn. Pretty much. Yeah. It's the bunny girls. It's <laughs> true. What is the meme? Plain I thought that was like Fallout New Vegas and Celeste. I thought those were the games that turned you trans. <laughs> also true. Well, yeah. It can happen Maybe it was <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just video games. Oh, I knew what else I was going to say. Oh. Mm-hmm. I was going to throw you a curveball for another one of my favorite games, which is not a video game, but a mm-hmm. tabletop game. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a game called A Quiet Year that I think everybody mm-hmm. should play, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, if you're not familiar, it's a map drawing game. So it is a, like a tabletop game that's all based on like prompts like you you're given like a a deck of cards and whichever card you draw gives you a specific prompt so it's you and whoever you're like sitting around the table playing with use these prompts to answer questions about uh a like society that you're creating and as you answer those questions you draw representations of them on a map so it's a really cool like uh collaborative storytelling exercise that like tells the history of a society from like a very like eagle eye like you know bird's eye view and also a very like personal level and then at the end of all that, you have a map that you've made with your friends that is like, to you, it's like this really important artifact of like all these stories that you created together. And if anybody else saw it, they would think you were completely losing your mind because it's it's absolute nonsense if you don't know the backstory. Yeah. And I just think that's great. Hmm. That's so cool. This is my favorite question. So I just find it really fascinating to ask people, what's a game that you wanted to like or were excited about? And then when you played it, it was actually... A big letdown. Ooh, I have a really recent answer, which is Season. Huh. Oh no! Yeah. I was gonna buy that. You should. You should. You should. I. Uh, I was a hater. Uh, every m- most other people <laughs> liked it. Um, I was so excited for that game for such a long time, and this then when I played the, it, this is the cute girl with glasses rides the bike game. Yeah, right? the bike yeah, riding yeah. photography game. Um, for me, it didn't really live up to the promises seem to be making i think part of that's expectations though because it built itself as this very much you're on a you're on this journey the world is ending you want to document the world and see all these things before the world disappears but then it gets very bogged down in telling one very specific story mm-hmm. um and like that kind of sense of freedom was not really there that i was expecting and the photography aspect i don't think is very good um i play a lot of games about like photography and i think um this one doesn't really stack up to most of the others mm-hmm. um that's just the one that came to that came to my mind because I like I just played it like two months ago. I mean, for me, the uh, my reputation <laughs> is famously that I'm a hater. I tend to Certified be very hater. critical. Yeah. Um, I mean, the game that I honestly think about so much is uh, is Immortality, mm. um, which wow. was the Sam Barlow Half Mermaid game that was one of the highest rated games of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you what did you uh, give it, Will? I gave it a five out of ten. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Um, I remember I remember your 
your review of this on inverse being like mm-hmm. or not not your review but like your comments about this being some of like the literal only negative comments i saw about this game which was it like was, yeah yeah it was me and it was ashley barden at kotaku those were <laughs> who also used as, to work at inverse who also used to work at inverse only sickos um but I I think, yeah, I think it was her and me were the only people who wrote pretty critical reviews of it. Um, It was mostly that I understood what it was trying to do, and I think it did all of that poorly. And I think it's a game that suffers from a desire to be prestigious and Mm -hmm. what the industry at large has decided a prestigious game is. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they the industry can only perceive of of a prestigious game being something that emulates more acceptable quote-unquote art yeah has guns so, and we're... <laughs> i was gonna say it's just like film i mean yeah yeah but you, you know what i mean though it's like you can be there's there's the prestigious art house game mm-hmm. and then there's the third person and or first person shooter that strives to be artistic And the third person shooter that strives to be artistic always ends up a notch higher than the prestigious wannabe art house game. You know what I mean? Like the art house game will get good reviews Mm -hmm. and it'll be a critical darling and all the indie websites will write about it. But like Kotaku or like one of the big pubs will run the article that is like, is this game the best game ever made? And it'll be Mm -hmm. like The Last of Us, which is like a good game. Don't get me wrong, but it's like, calm down. I'm sorry, calm down. I'm sorry. Do you mean the best video game story of all time? (laughs) Shut the fuck up. I hate that shit, man. I have so many thoughts about that. I mean, I've I've heard several of video game journalists be like, okay, for real though, the seven out of 10 games are actually the best games. I mean, it's because review scores are fucking bullshit and they're the worst. Yeah. And, you know, seven out of tens are awesome. You just got to find the game that has like seven out of tens. They always have something interesting they're trying to do, and they mm-hmm. maybe just don't do it to full realization. But the, the Dragon's they're, they're Dogmas of the world. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's exactly. true. Yeah. Dragon's Dogma. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I think I derailed the point because I just really desperately wanted to call out The Last of Us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I apologize for talking on The yeah. Last of Us. Always. Um, we need more of that in the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for immortality, like essentially it was just um I think it was a story that thought it was incredibly smart and mm. didn't actually deliver on that promise. It's a game that allegedly kind of decries the issue of auteurs in art, but kind of the way that it is that game was talked about, marketed, and discussed, it it's a product of an auteur. Mm. Um there are people who just only refer to it as Sam Barlow's game. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a bit problematic. Uh, and uh, something that Ashley Barden pointed out in her review that I really loved is the idea that the the most terrifying thing that the game can think of is a woman aging, uh, which is essentially the like biggest threat at the end is this the unnaturalness of this one specific character in the game uh mm-hmm. so i just i didn't really buy into the hype for it yeah okay there's one last question we have and that is i was just thinking about this for the past couple of weeks but this seems like the year of like the remakes and remasters of the 2000s <laughs> are just yeah. popping off like uh 
I currently uh, I just finished uh, Metroid Prime Remastered. Resident Evil 4 remake came out. There is a Dead Space remake. Mm-hmm. Um, have either of you gotten the chance to play any of these games? How do you feel about this like resurgence? Yeah. Uh, generally, I'm not a huge fan of remakes and remasters. Um, it's a very interesting, it's like a very difficult discussion to have about like what is the purpose of a remaster or remake for a video game. Um, mm-hmm. And my biggest issue is that usually for me, by like when all said and done, the biggest driver behind a remake and a remaster in the modern landscape is because it's a it's an easy check. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's totally true. But then also sometimes I want to play this game. So it's fun. Yeah. Like I want to play, you know, I'm gonna play the Metroid Prime remaster when they inevitably do the like the Final Fantasy Tactics re-release, I'm gonna play it. Yeah. Like there's there's stuff like that where it's just like I don't have another way of playing this game. I mean, unless I like decide I could like emulate it or whatever, but mm. I don't have an easy way to play this game again. Um, so there's some games that like get remastered and I will play them, but also yeah, I don't know. I'm not I'm not that excited about it either. I think part of it is the like um a lot of the games that are being remastered, they, they are, of course, because they're like trying to make more money off of them, they are the games that were like the biggest game of such and such a year. And yeah. that just tends not to be my favorite kind of game. Like mm-hmm. Dead Space, your Resident Evil 4, is just like not just never going to be on the top of my list of favorite games to begin with. Yeah. Um, we had a discussion about this recently, and I think it's like it's it's simplistic to say that um remake, like the F, the work that's going into making remakes is keeping that same work from being done on new games, but it is also hard not to see like I just wish those resources were being put toward new ideas and like doing yeah. something inventive and, and trying something that we haven't seen before because i think that's even if you try something new and wild and it fails it's going to be at least more exciting than just doing the thing that worked again mm-hmm. um and i would rather see like uh i think we need a lot more ambitious failures in order to get like the ambitious success to, to have yeah. to come off um whereas you're not really being ambitious if you're just trying to sell a game that sold well the first time and that's yeah. never going to lead to innovation and it's never going to lead to, um, you know, new ideas and new blood in the in the industry, which is something that uh, is kind of lacking <laughs> in yeah. like this sort of like mainstream space. Like obviously mm-hmm. in the indie scene, it's like explosively exciting. But um, yeah, this is something that like and, and Tori, I want to hear your thoughts on this, too, because mm-hmm. I know we've talked about this a little bit, but not super in depth. The The episode where you two talked about this recently on Girl Mode really kind of it kind of uh, made me think a little more about my typically uncritical reaction to remakes getting Mm. announced because I have a tendency Mm. to bypass the uh, critical, the how does this fit into the lens of the greater gaming landscape and how it is kind of forced into the mold it is by capitalism to just go like, oh, fuck yeah, Chrono Cross on the Switch, let's fucking go. Like, <laughs> yeah. I have a tendency to just kind of like brain off when those happen, no, even I, if I don't I end agree. up buying it. Like, but I think there's your point when you were talking about, I think, Willie, you made the point in the episode when you two talked about this, like, no, no games journal, no, no game developer wakes up and is like, I'm, I want to make Resident Evil 4 again. I can't wait to do it. But even still, like, I saw... There was a rumor floating around a few days ago, and this is a rumor that's been floating around for literal years, that like 
a Metal Gear Solid 3 remake in the Fox engine is swimming around over at Konami. Like Konami's making games again, guys, and they're going to make res they're going to make MGS3 again. And my initial reaction is like, "Oh fuck yeah, MGS3 again. I can't wait." But another part of me is like, the my initial positive reaction from these remakes tends to come from the fact that like you said, Robin, like it's difficult to play some of these games on modern hardware. If I want to play Final Fantasy Tactics, the easiest way to play it is on my PSP because I was dumb enough to buy like War of the Lions like on <laughs> UMD like a, a decade ago, and I just still have it, even though like it's really easy to hack a PSP. But that's beside the point. Like the the easiest way to play these games legitimately is often on older hardware if it's even possible. But yeah, that's a problem that has been forced into existence by this like like manufactured scarcity of oopsie the ps4 <laughs> you pulling out your psp let's go <laughs> let's go yeah i think i think that is where i stand too because like from a like almost accessibility perspective like mm -hmm. i there is really no way for me to in a first party way Mm -hmm. play a game like metroid prime yeah as a person who only owns a switch and a 3ds now could i emulate it yeah um but the only way to like first party like officially mm -hmm. buy it was to buy the remastered version um i think it's cool when it is introducing like a new generation to a thing that they mm -hmm. might have not uh been exposed to previously mm -hmm. um but i also it it's kind of like the same thing that happens with Hollywood movies. You know how like we've been talking about how like everything is like Marvel or like a remake or a reboot because it it's like a familiar thing. Like they know they know yeah. XYZ IP will sell money. So they're just gonna make more of those. Shazam too, baby. It's printing money. <laughs> everyone's clamoring for it. Everyone's yeah. everybody's Everyone. favorite movie star, Zachary <laughs> Levi. Um I saw a, I saw a tweet that I guess people are discovering that Zachary Levi was like a musical theater actor. And there oh, was really? like a video of him like singing and people are just like, wow, like he's such a good singer. And I'm just like, God, There's nothing he can't do. I don't think She's you can see him. it in frame, but I do have a She Loves Me playbill somewhere up there. Amazing. Thank you for yeah. that contribution. <laughs> but like it's it is kind of like an easy uh, check. And I just wish there was like more of a balance between remasters and rehashes of things and new things like i would much prefer you know a new metroid prime more yeah. than metroid prime remastered so mm -hmm. it feels a little bit like a here's a little treat <laughs> yeah but like i would just rather get a new thing yeah it's like in a world where video game preservation existed that we wouldn't yeah. need them but like exactly this industry has no memory so it's that just is not the reality we live in yeah, yeah, I'm a far greater proponent of just making sure that these games in their original forms are accessible mm -hmm. to anybody. That's what I want. Um, yeah. I think another issue is that there there's some kind of I don't know if this is the right word, but there's like a lack of media literacy for games where any time we're like a generation moves on, suddenly you look back at the past generation, you're like, oh, all those games are unplayable. It's like, no, they're just yeah. different. They have a different design philosophy. Maybe, like, we, we just need to like kind of take the time to make people understand that, like, no, you can play these games and they are good for what they are. Not everything yeah. has to adhere to what is the current trend. Yeah. 
it's the same reason theory that, of games should feel bad to play yeah it's the same reason that we have like the our games art debate every every like three yeah. years oh my god and it's like yeah. exhausting it's like every few months exactly it's yeah it's, time is compressing it, it was a stale argument when bioshock came out you know and it's it's like it's if if there was a little bit of a longer uh like attention span in the games industry something that has been explicitly manufactured to have a short attention span like if there was a longer attention span we would be able to have more constructive conversations about the medium but instead we're eternally trapped in this time loop of wow the last of us part two is really good maybe games are art now maybe they've finally done it mm-hmm. <laughs> like here yeah. we are here we are again yeah it's, yeah. it's which tough. is like very adjacent to the like instability of the industry we were talking about earlier because like mm-hmm. sometimes like not only do a lot of folks get let off from their jobs but like sites get completely purged you know yeah so they're like there's like pieces that are very important that are just like not only like just completely inaccessible now yeah and it's like it's hard to have that kind of institutional knowledge and have like the next generation of like critics or even people who are just playing games like to even understand the arguments that people were having 10 years ago because there might be yeah. literally no way to access those anymore and that's not the kind of th- that doesn't happen in other fields of like yeah. capital j journalism outside of like gawker getting destroyed originally but even twice. then like mm-hmm. twice. twice yeah twice. but even then like the first time gawker got destroyed it was like the only thing people talked about for ages now mm-hmm. it's like the equivalent would be like if yeah, I don't know if the Washington Post went under and then all of a sudden every every copy of all the president's men just like vanished from the world. And then it's like people be like, wow, this is crazy. We've we've never had this happen before. And it's like, haven't you read all the president's men? Like there's yeah. there's no there's no other field. Maybe there is. But like it, it just feels like a very it feels like a very game specific problem, like you said, for it to have such a short attention span the way it does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also can't believe we got to the PSP so late. I wanted to tell you, I've been listening to y'all talk about the fucking 3DS so much that I dragged <laughs> my my 3DS out of the closet oh where it's God. been hiding for five years and it's yeah. I have it charging over there. Somehow the battery is still alive and I want to mod it so badly. We did it for you. You keep talking about Do it. Do it. It's, you know, I know I it's a to. meme. I know it's a meme, but it's so easy to mod your 3DS. I can't wait. <laughs> Can't wait. That's oh. so good. Oh fuck. Um Tori, do we have any other questions that we want to ask or should we? No, that's pretty much it. I think we like... should we should shift into what we've been playing. Yeah, we've been we've been going do you for a while. Do you guys just anyway. teach me how to mod my 3DS for the rest of this? Or we can yeah, do that. Right yeah. <laughs> Not, but no it can. <laughs> Not even. I followed like the the simplest, most baby ass mm-hmm. uh now. Plus, I think uh I talked about this in another episode, but I think the modding process is a little different now. I think it's even easier because our our like semi-regular <clears throat> co-host Nathaniel, when he got his 3DS, he told me like, oh yeah, it was super easy. All I did was put some files on my SD card. And I was like, oh, yeah. when I modded mine, I had to like go on the eShop and download this like Sudoku game that had like a known security <laughs> exploit and like <laughs> oh put God. some files on my 3DS and then my 3DS. And then the instructions were like, now boot Sudoku. And I did it and I like pressed the start <laughs> button and then it just started loading like a cache of data onto my 3DS. Yeah, I was so reading like a 47 to, step guide earlier. Yeah, this like, is like an undercover this. mission. Oh my God. Sorry, Will, you, you saying, had a joke. Please, please lock and load it. Are you saying press start, had to press start? Yeah, I had, yeah, exactly, exactly. You I had to right there. Back for that. Oh fuck. Okay. Um, we we've reached the we've reached the stage of the show where we we talk about what we've been playing recently. 
it, since both of you have mentioned listening to episodes, you know that like the, our definition of play is very loosely. I think I talked more about the new 100 Gex album last week than mm-hmm. I did about video games. But like, uh, I don't know who who wants to go first. What have y'all been playing? Uh, I could start first. Um, Please. I did just beat Metroid Prime Remastered. I uh, mm-hmm. really enjoyed it. Um, it definitely made me want to play two and three. It kind of sucks that they like just did this <laughs> shadow drop of the first one, and then anything about two and three have just been like crickets. Mm-hmm. Just like, how can you come away with that and not want to play the second one? It's especially um, funny too, since the rumor for like literal years was that they had like a trilogy of these remasters supposedly done and just sitting there ready to shadow drop at any time. And instead, they only put out one of them. Yeah, and then I beat that, and then I was like, "That's it." Um, I really did enjoy it though. I got like I got all the power ups, even the optional ones, mm-hmm. and I believe I got all the energy. So uh, my clear time was about sixteen hours, and I did about eighty five percent of it. Uh, so I I really enjoyed it. I loved like some of the more platforming challenges and the puzzles. It was a great time. Um, oh, there's one area where you're underwater and you have to jump on a bunch of platforms. And there's like these tentacles that come out and hit you and knock you down. That part really sucks. Um, there's always a bad underwater level. I oh I hate an underwater level. Uh, and so besides that, speaking of 3DSs, I just started <laughs> playing A Link Between Worlds. And I yes. gotta say, this game is like the you got games on your phone version of <laughs> Ocarina of Time. No, that's such a bad take. No. Brutal. It's no, I'm not saying it like it's bad. It's just yeah. like you enter Kakariko Village and it's literally like that exact music from the N64. Yeah. And uh I mean the to entire, be fair, that's a link the to entire... the past too. <laughs> okay, that's true. That's and then like uh you get to the the intro of the game, which is like telling you like the story of of the hero. They're just like recapping Ocarina of Time for you, so it's just yeah. like, oh, okay, okay. But um, I got to the point where I'm kind of off to my first dungeon. Uh, after I saw someone get turned into a painting, and it's fun. I like how the overworld feels like the older Zelda games, like the first two or three ones. Because it's playing that theme as you're in the world and you're side scrolling and mm-hmm. you're facing little guys and you yourself are a little guy and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's very enjoyable. So it's uh, I, I I was on a, a flight on a budget airline and I didn't want to mm-hmm. pay for Wi-Fi and so I just uh, played this game the whole flight. It was great. I adore the system in that game where you have to like pay to rent your items from the the purple bunny hat guy like. Oh yeah, so you're I a landlord in this system. game, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Not even you're you're a renter. You're you're one of the people. Yeah. I'm just kidding, but yeah. <laughs> no, I I adore that system. It really makes death in that game feel like. Not even. I remember it's been a while since I played this game, but I remember the main irritation in that game not even being like not having enough rupees to rent the hammer when I came back from the dead. It was more so that like I was gonna have to click through the menus to have to go rent stuff. But for some reason, that never surfaced as like a game mechanic I was annoyed about. It was more just like, oh, I got to go back to the store and rent my items again. <laughs> like, I just it was a fun inversion on the, the 2D Zelda formula that like I kind of thought was a formula they were done doing things to. So I'm I'm interested to see how you feel about it, like deeper into the game. Yeah. And then besides that, I finished watching uh, Monster, which is the anime series that I've been watching for the past couple of months on Netflix. 
Is this um, the, the fucked up doctor or something? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's that about one. a doctor who's falsely accused of being a serial killer. Yeah. Where actually, one. it was one of his patients who was a serial killer. Um, but he got framed for it. Uh, Wait, was, Gary, was that like the big spoiler of the show? Or? No, no, that's okay. like, that's established in like episode two. Like, okay, that's like the setup. Sure. Okay, I was just making sure that wasn't like the end yeah. or anything. Oh, are you are you familiar with Monster? Yeah, yeah, Monster's really good. Big fan. Yeah, I just finished the the last episode of it because they put it all on Netflix, and which feels like a real service. Like, thank God they did that because Monster is kind of like one of those obscure animes. It's like. You find it on YouTube and it gets taken down two days later and you have to like mm-hmm. cobble together. So they finally put the whole thing on Netflix. And I finished mm-hmm. it. Very interesting, unnerving, unsatisfactory ending. It's not a fan of of that. Um, and so of course, like I'm Googling it and there's a whole Reddit, and everyone's <laughs> like, oh, there's this light novel that has never been translated into English. <laughs> that is actually takes place three years later and will like maybe give you some closure. And I'm just like, bro, it, it really be like that sometimes. Um, It's rough out there. It's rough out there for, for average monster enjoyers, average Urusawa enjoyers. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I've been doing. And then I went straight into like, Oh, as if I needed, I need like another show that I could spend months on that would also like emotionally damage me. And so I went straight from finishing monsters to starting Mad Men. So um that's that's where I'm at. Nice. Had you watched Mad Men before? Is this your first Never. time saying it? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been wanting to watch like the great shows of the 2000s that hmm. I was like too young to watch when it first came out. Like TV context, like when Breaking Bad ended, I was still like in like 14 or 15. Hmm. And so I've been wanting to like get into watching these shows that everyone on Twitter talks about. Everyone on Twitter talks about like Mad Men and like in the Sopranos. I want to get in on these like Sopranos and Mad Men memes. So <laughs> yeah. Like everything yeah. I know about Mad Men, I know from like very short clips I saw of it on Twitter. So yeah. I, I hear it's good. I don't know. I feel like wow. I'm it I is like really my, good. It kind of feels like my TikTok algorithm is like three steps from just giving me clips of Mad Men overlaid with like subway surfers on the bottom absolutely <laughs> yeah. wait am i the only person here who's watched Mad Men? did you watch it well never Jesus. yeah you're yeah, the one you're the old one. it's fine is it good i mean i it's it's, it's good. Like, it gets i mean it gets it's like eight seasons or something it gets like deranged after a while but it's yeah it's great i mean it's really good it's worth watching i have nice. one of those shows that like they really should have ended it like two seasons before they mm-hmm. actually did yeah. Like that's every show, any show that ends after sorry, any show that's longer than five seasons to me is always a little sus. Totally, I get so. upset when I hear about like a second season of a show I like coming out. I'm like, no, it was done. Just let us I know. go on with our lives. As soon as I heard about Squid Game, I was like, oh no, please don't. <laughs> I will defer to somebody else to go next in the uh, what we've been playing rotation. Yeah, um, I'll go. Sure. Um. So the game that I've been playing is I play I was playing this uh, free visual novel called Life After Magic, which is the the way I like to pitch it to people is it's basically what if Sailor Moon had burnout. Um, Oh, that sounds great. It's really great. It's essentially like it's this 90s pixelated visual novel. It's very like it's very Tokimeki Memorial vibes, like kind of the art aesthetic. And it's about these girls who are all essentially sailor scouts, but it's like 
they're in their 20s now after they, you know, defeated the final boss basically and saved the world. And the main one who's like essentially, you know, Usagi, she is in a dead end job. She has no love life. She is very, very sad. And she's basically just dealing with gifted kid burnout. And she has like no relationships with the other um, essentially Sailor Scouts. And mm -hmm. they all have to come back together for like reasons. And they're all super awkward with each other. And like some of them are still friends slash maybe dating. Um, and some of them are just like actually hate each other now. It's really good. And it's such an interesting use of the like magical girl genre to basically be like, all magical girls have gifted kid burnout, actually. Huh. Um, it also does this great thing where it's it it just acknowledges the inherent sapphic queerness of Sailor Moon. Yeah. And you can just date any of them. Um, it's very enjoyable and it's like free on Steam. So the art I, is I love so that aspect. Too. I oh love that aspect of the the burnout because like I recently rewatched Sailor Moon, the original, mm -hmm. not Crystal. And like Sailor Mercury is like constantly on that grind and like no one cares. <laughs> that poor She's girl. She's like, I got to save the world. Also, I got cram school. Also, I never see my mom. Also, mm -hmm. I need to get into this university. Also, I'm trying to study in Germany. She's like having a constant crisis. Everyone's like, okay, are you, are you going to pull up though when the negative shows up? <laughs> yeah. And like no one gives a shit. Like she needs a day off. It's really was, sad to watch. <laughs> yeah, I was on like a magical girl kick. It happened because then I also for the first time watched uh, Madoka Magica, mm. which mm -hmm. um, I need to watch that. Let me tell you, it's good. It's it is exactly what it uh, is pitched as, which is like magical near magical girl neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, it's very, very fun. Uh, it's pretty dark, but I love how they tell the story. And it was a uh, it was very interesting playing it um, or watching it while I was playing Life After Magic because both of them kind of have different subversions of like Sailor Moon. So it was really interesting seeing them uh, back to back. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny anytime Madoka Magic comes up because I remember when Tori was gonna watch it and you watched like two episodes of it, but you like you got like twenty minutes shy of like when it when it really kind of reveals yeah, what is happening really in that confused series. I mean, like, maybe I'll watch this later, but yeah, now so I need to get back into it. Every time it comes up, even though I know you've seen a little bit of it, I know we're talking about different Madoka Magicas. So it's like it comes up and I'm like, oh yeah, Madoka Magica. And you're like, yeah, I'll watch that at some point. And I'm like, you gotta watch this shit. <laughs> the thing I love about that show is that when they were creating it, legitimately, they did that on purpose. And mm -hmm. they like, all the marketing did not clue in anybody about what oh, it was wow. I they literally that. just were like marketing as look at this cool new magical girl anime mm -hmm. and that's all people knew about it until you get into like those certain moments of like episode three i think yeah. it is and then everybody was like whoa, 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 whoa what the fuck is happening <laughs> yeah um, and then they just like went hard into that so that's i think that's so really fun. funny because i i didn't reach the series until like it became a thing on tumblr that like mm -hmm. people recommended to each other is kind of like a oh yeah, watch this. You're going to love it. Wink, wink. And like half the joke was that you were recommending something to somebody that would traumatize them and they didn't <laughs> realize it by looking at just the art initially. And so you were mm -hmm. like, I was like, oh boy, howdy, this looks cute. And all the people who I, whose opinions on media I respect say I should watch this. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I guess if we're all talking about the anime we just watched, I've been watching the Nier Automata anime, uh, which is great. Uh, definitely watch that. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's great. I don't know what to say. It's it's awesome. Like if it, I think even if you yeah, if you haven't seen if you haven't played the game, it would still be great. Um, highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that I like, I just finished playing. I already mentioned like Paradise Killer and Near Automata. So I haven't really gotten like super deep into anything else since then, except for uh, for whatever reason, I got the urge to start replaying uh, the testimony of Trixie Glimmersmith again today, which is what I was sending screenshots to you from Willa. Yeah, um, it's also a visual novel that I'm like obsessed with. It's about this like trans anthro rat girl who uh, finds a copy of the King in Yellow and like unleashes an elder god accidentally while she's like trying not to fail out of college uh huh. great visual novel it's very 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 funny uh i love it dearly um so yeah that's what i've been playing i played a little bit of actually um of infinite guitars today as well which just came out today it's on game pass it's a very weird game like i've been following it forever waiting for it to come out um where it's been built as like a kind of like rhythm action game where you have a guitar and you play guitar that like powers these mechs because obviously I that's the coolest shit in the world. Yeah. Um, it's kind of weird that there's like this. I didn't realize how much it segmented it into different. There's like overworld kind of like action scenes where you're like dodging different like enemies and stuff. It's a like pretty janky. And then there's also kind of like semi turn based battles that also have like rhythm components. It, it's a really weird game. I'm like, I only played like maybe an hour of it before this recording. Yeah. But it's it's super interesting. The art style is fantastic. It's this kind of like flat colored, uh, like sort of comic book style. The music is obviously really great. There's like, um, it's interesting. I don't know how good it's going to turn out to be, but I am really digging it. Yeah, Tori, um, this is the one that I sent you a tweet about the other day because it has music from a Twinkle Park in it. This is that. Oh, this is that yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it is. Oh, that's that's really interesting. I'm into it. Yeah. The music yeah. sounded really good. So. Yeah, it's very it's been fun so far. Yeah. Um I guess mostly I've been just looking through uh just reading a bunch of tabletop games because I did buy the the TTRPGs for trans rights bundle. Mm-hmm. So I have 500 new tabletop games to add to the like 1000 I already had from other <laughs> bundles. Yeah. Um so I've just been reading weird games. Um Thirsty Sword Lesbians is a great game. Uh I've played that with my group before and it rules. Uh Wander Home is in there. It's also really good um yeah i don't know go play some weird tabletop games from itch there's there's the lots of good stuff in there yeah i guess that means it's my turn uh no anime this week honestly not not a whole lot to write home this week i had a i had kind of a strange week work-wise so i've kind of just been like fighting against executive dysfunction to just like do anything um i'm still plugging away through metroid prime i had a because i'm playing metroid prime gamecube version I had a thought recently, Tori, when you beat it, where I was like, how the fuck did Tori beat it so fast? I didn't start this game that long after her. And then I remember that you played it on Switch, a console that like you could if you wanted to play in bed. And I'm playing Which it on my Yeah, I'm playing it on my GameCube. So I have to like, I have to like, all right, time to play. Nestle in, sit in front of the TV, play with the controller. Um, a couple stray thoughts about Metroid Prime. I think I'm at around like the halfway point. I'm right at that boss who I beat and then died. So I went back to my last save, which was before him, where you have to like use the thermal ray to like tech the bits of the rock monster to shoot. So like mm-hmm. I'm there. I am I think that's around like the halfway point, maybe a little yeah. over given you're, like you're walkthroughs I've seen. Yeah. Um 
I really like it. I don't want to go like super, super detailed because I know once I beat it, we'll probably have like a more intelligent conversation about like the entire game that both of us experienced. Um, but a few straight takeaways are like one, it's a lot more challenging than I thought it was. I thought yeah. it was going to be. And I think that's something I've experienced like all the Metroid games I've played. Like I, I played through like 90% of Super Metroid on the SNES Classic app on the Switch. And there were parts of that game that I do not think I would have would have gotten through if I hadn't like cheesed it with the rewind feature. Like these are difficult games. They and are. Sometimes when you fall into the lava in Metroid Prime, you're just fucked. Like you're just it's stuck over. there. Oh my god. The last time I died was like I had beaten Thargus or Tardis or whatever the fuck that rock monster's name is. I beat mm. him and then I like went down a little ways and I'm back in lava world and then I fell in the lava and I couldn't get out. And I was like, well, fuck me, I guess. And then there's like that really freaky game over screen of like the like dented hole in Samus's visor. And you like see her eye like it kind of trips me out. And um, another thought I had listening to you talk about it, Tori, is that you said you liked the platforming challenges in this game. Fuck the platforming challenges in this game. I hate platforming in first person. I will say it. It has. Uh, okay, yeah, never you get it used to it. <laughs> It makes me feel like I feel like I'm playing fucking Skyrim sometimes. It's so dark. I can't see shit. And they're like, all right, platform around here. And I'm trying to jump and I'm having to like move my camera down, which on the GameCube version means I have to hold down the right trigger and like push my joystick down as far as it'll go and try to see past my like chunky UI on the bottom of my visor to see whether there is ground underneath me. And I'm just like, I hate this shit. Yeah, I think that might be a thing with, you know, them making things a little smoother on the Switch and yeah, the and lighter, two different sticks, too, yeah. controls, and yeah. Yeah, Maybe? I was also looking at the comparison, and, like, the original game is, like, really dark. Like, and the remaster, they definitely, they definitely lined it up a bit. Yeah, maybe, they, maybe like, the gamma is just off of my TV or something, but also... Part of it, too, is probably that, like, this is a game that was intended to be played on a CRT that was, like, 20 yes. inches big, and I'm playing it on an HDMI TV that's, like, 30 <laughs> inches big. So, like, not a whole lot bigger, but it is, you know, different aspect ratio. It's an HDMI TV. I'm probably sitting farther away than the average person with a CRT was. So, like, it's probably, like, a totally different experience than I would have had had I played this, like, when I originally bought it. But, like, man, talk about remake stuff. Like, there have been times when I've hit kind of clunky platforming sections or like clunky aiming sections and i've just been like i bet this is a lot easier in the remake where you could just like use the c stick as or use the right joystick as the aiming thing rather than the c stick which just like selects my different weapons and shit so all that said i'm still really enjoying it i'm having a really good time with it but uh it's just every now and then i i push up against something that is like yeah this is just a just a little clunky <laughs> Is, Have either yeah. you played any of Metroid Fusion on Switch? No. Not on Switch, uh -huh. but I played it on my 3DS like a million <laughs> years ago. <laughs> and it was, Maybe you'll play it on the 3DS then, now that yeah, it mine's yeah, alive yeah. again. It's good. That's a good fucking game. Yeah, I haven't yeah. started it either, but I'm really looking forward to it. It also like blows me away sometimes when I remember that Metroid has like a timeline and a lore base that is like... Yes as complex as the zelda games like there's no branching timelines but it does require you to have like a working knowledge of what happened in games that came out on like the original game boy and it's like fuck you if you don't know this like 
when I was reading the synopsis or like when you were telling me about stuff that was happening in Metroid Dread, Tori, I was like, hold on a minute. Like, I know this is the sequel to Metroid Fusion, but like it requires you to know specific plot points from a Game Boy game that came out 20 years ago. (laughs) Literally. And there's even some some like lore that got confirmed, not even from the mainline games, but from Smash. Really? Like Smash what? was one of the first sources that confirmed that Ridley killed her parents. Ah, huh. wow, That's so oh amazing! God. I love that. I fucking love that. Yeah. Nobody has it like Nintendo, baby. Just like the weirdest <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh fuck, that is so funny. Um, anything else anybody wants to add here, or should we uh, should we segue out of here? I don't know about y'all, but I'm getting sleepy. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. sleepy. We can adjourn. <laughs> All right. Um, Willa, Robin, thank y'all so much for joining us today. This was a lot of fun. Uh, like I said earlier, we we both really respect your work. We really enjoy your writing. We really enjoy your podcast. I know, like Willa specifically, we've both referenced the the article you wrote in Inverse about the social link with uh, Sayori in Persona Three Portable, like <laughs> at least once or twice. On the, when we were when we were playing through Persona Three, like I was playing Portable and Tori was playing FES. And I was like, mm-hmm. no, Tori, there's this like shockingly <laughs> queer uh, social link that's in this game. You wouldn't believe it. Like I, I referenced the article you wrote like at least mm-hmm. a couple of times. So, yeah, like, and I'm like, no, I'm just hanging out with this guy that really wants to fuck our English teacher and is being really <laughs> weird about it. More video games. Oh, it happens. Um, but yeah, thanks for having us on though. This is this was really yeah, this, this is, is so fun. fun. I'm so happy. It, you know, actually, it fulfills the whole reason girl mode was made. For us to guest on other podcasts mm-hmm. so there you that's go. the real there secret reason yeah. yeah it's all up from here you know mm-hmm. <laughs> where where can people find y'all and girl mode on other places uh yeah i mean you can find girl mode anywhere you listen to podcasts we're on twitter at girl mode underscore pod and on co-host at girl mode dash pod um you can find me both of those places at the willow row and i'm at robin bombas on both of them Tori, what about you? Where are you at having hot takes about Mad Men and shit? You can find me uh, on the worst website uh, at Tori underscore as underscore always. I like that you didn't even say that it was Twitter. You just you just know. We just know. Everyone knows. You can find me. I'm I'm also on. uh, I'm also at Elon Musk's house at Noah (laughs) underscore Hertz spelled H-U-R-T-S. The podcast is on Twitter at press underscore start pod and we're on tumblr at press hyphen start pod well i've been really bad at updating updating the tumblr recently and i've noticed that uh i think the thing that plays best on tumblr is original memes and i haven't thought of any funny original uh-huh. memes lately so uh i keep threatening willow that i'm gonna start a tumblr for girl start, start a tumblr it's yeah. fun. Seems like fun we it's have fun. a tumblr we also have a co-host yeah well i have a co-host we don't have a co-host for the show oh but you're right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. But like half the co-hosts, the half the choasts I've made have been about the podcast because I've been like, oh my God, this interview was so much fun. You have to listen to this. And then it gets, <laughs> it gets some, I guess you call them likes on co-host even still. But, but yeah, that's where we are on social media. The, the podcast is, if you're listening to it, you know wherever podcasts are. And we'd appreciate it if you left a review wherever you're listening. You can also email the show if you have like any thoughts, hot takes, questions, whatever at heypressstart at gmail.com. Our intro and outro music is from the artist Geist, and you can listen to more of their stuff at noahgeist.bandcamp.com. And our show art is by Kai at Wisp Graphics. And I think that is everything. Again, thank you all so much for coming on. 
Does anybody have any anybody have any closing thoughts, closing hot takes, anything to anything to round out this episode with? I'm just watching Willis cat rust wrangle around behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, shout out to Sonia, the true star of this uh, call. Yeah, she's our producer. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Shout out to your I producer, your cat. Yeah. Thanks again so much for having us. Yes. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you everybody for listening and uh, go listen to Girl Mode too. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. It's pretty cool. <laughs>